0: down and listen to records, smell the cover, read all the verses, Tell me about your favorites on Vinyl and
1: Vision. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of Vinyl and Vision. I'm your host, Jimmy Drab. This is my show. Welcome. My very special guest this evening is Gavin Castleton. What you're listening to is the second track off of Gavin's most recent record, Here You Go. Entitled Courage We discussed that album A bit in length uh, on this episode And um Not only because it's his most recent But because it is also Probably his most personal And vulnerable uh, Is the word that we use a lot In the show And uh, it's a great album Um, I will uh, provide a link to His Bandcamp page Where you should be able to find that As well as every other release He has uh, made in his solo career Um couple of vinyl releases are on there, and then uh, a couple of other digital forms, uh, kind of physical forms, and then obviously streaming digital formats of most everything, I'm sure. Um, so I have not spoken with Gavin in a very long time. It realistically has probably been over two decades. And we had a really great conversation. We had a, a very fun time just kind of catching up and then obviously discussing the album that he chose for this evening, D'Angelo's uh, 2000 release Voodoo. Uh, great album. Um, I was a little surprised by it. I'm always kind of skeptical of the modern R&B and uh, hip-hop music and uh, you know I came to realize that it's actually a uh, kind of a soul and funk and R&B record and uh, just very very innovative and uh it was made to be that way so if you are familiar with that album then i hope you enjoy the show and enjoy what, uh, how we remark on it and how we kind of uh, review it a little bit and if you are not familiar with that record well I, I hope that encourages encourages you to go find it and listen to it yourself because it's a it's a pretty interesting piece um we also encourage you to find gavin's music like i said the links will be provided um so it's a little bit of a lengthy show, so I'm going to just kind of cut this short and just let you know that um, it was a blast speaking with Kevin. I think that it's pretty apparent you can hear it. We are having a lot of fun, having a lot of laughs. And, um, and there was a couple of surprises that were thrown in there, uh, both between he and I. Like, we both were surprised at moments in the show, and I thought that that was pretty uh, interesting. So I'm not going to reveal anything here, just to ask you to listen to it and enjoy it. Uh, also, please do all the things you do with the internet. Like, share, subscribe, comment, if you will. And uh, rate and review. That's a big one. But also, uh, I'm actually asking people to send me messages. Find me at psychicstatic.net or, or any social media, you know, Instagram or Facebook, and, uh, and DM me. With, uh, with a request of who you think would be a great uh, guest to be on this show. Someone whose brain you would love to see me dig into as far as uh, you know an influential album is concerned. Got a few people lined up right now, uh, which I hope you people will really enjoy. So uh, don't forget to subscribe and that way you'll find out about those uh, as they are made available. But um, going to be pretty cool. So without further ado, enjoy the show. When are you going?
2: To face it, or just build
1: it, the Hello.
0: Hey, can you hear me?
1: Yeah, I can hear you good. I don't know what it is. You want to just go? Sure. Let's go for it. I can live with
0: this if you're cool with it. I'm fine.
1: I have. I'm sure I've done worse. <laughs> okay. Um. So nice to see you, man. Nice to see you too. It's been it a long time. Decade. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I guess we might as well just like kind of get right into the whole thing of like what brought you out to Portland.
0: Oh, uh, yeah, that was like thirteen years ago. I moved out there. I, um, I, uh, I just kind of was finally all these projects were wrapping up in Rhode Island, where I, I like had done a bunch of solo work, but I had a record coming out that hadn't launched yet, and ibu gogo the band i was in wasn't touring anymore and uh like it was a space in between a bunch of stuff and i was rhode island was feeling very small town to me and this was a moment when i thought i could you know cut a new path somewhere and i have family out in oregon so it, it made sense to land oh. there so it was just a sea change moment that i come upon every decade or so of like all right i gotta rattle my cage and do something yeah. like crazy. And I'd been in Rhode Island for 15 years before that. So felt like a good time. Like I wasn't in the middle of anything dire that, or in a band that everyone was there and I would be abandoning it kind of thing. It was like,
1: it it felt like a a good time to, to, yeah, there was a
0: window of freedom that it made that you could do that kind of thing. And it wouldn't necessarily cause too much damage to your relationships or whatever. So yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. I think I, um, I had listened to a lot of your records, I think i listened to just about everything that you have, at wow. least that's digitally, yeah, I mean, because we have been talking about doing this for a while now, so I've had a lot of time, so mm-hmm. I remember, I can't remember what record and what song it was now, but I think there was a song that you kind of mentioned that story of, like, kind of, like, getting in your car and just driving out west.
0: Yeah, it was a little haphazard, I definitely just put stack my, I took a bunch of boxes to the post office and whatever fit in my car and the rest went on the curb. And I left at like, I always think about it that I left at like 8 PM, which is not a time you leave to drive across the country. It makes no sense, but it probably tells you something about my psychological state in the moment. I was like, I gotta go. So I just like, yeah, kind of left my stuff on the side of the road and took off and uh, and slept on couches when I got there. And so.
1: Wow. Yeah. So you didn't, you didn't even set anything up. Like you didn't have an apartment to go to, like you just kind of.
0: But I had siblings and they were all having children. And so I wanted to be there too, to torment them as an uncle. And so I, and they were all very uh, generous, letting me crash at their on their couches for probably months. I don't really remember, but it was probably hmm. a while before I landed and got up, but I'd gone to high school there for a year. So I had friends out there too. It wasn't oh, okay. really raw. Like, of all the places in the United States, I knew the most people there. So that still, compared to Rhode Island, that still made sense, you know?
1: Yeah, are you not there now? You keep on saying there. Oh yeah, no, I'm not. I'm in Rhode Island right now. Oh, you are? Yeah, sorry. I, what I, the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I could be at your house, right? Yeah, now. why didn't you just come over? <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, no, I just, I just got here a short while ago. Um, I just moved back after years and years. So- Oh, okay. Sorry, that that makes a lot more sense. I'm saying there, there. and
1: Yeah, I was just like, where, where are you, like in Seattle or something? Where would you go?
0: <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so it's still new to me. I'm still kind of um, reeling from being back here, but I'm out in Bristol right now. I'm not in like France and where we grew up, you know.
1: Oh, okay. So yeah.
0: a little foreign to Providence where I spent the most time, but. Right. You know, a little bit different of a world out here, but I'm on this coast. I'm on this coast. Oh,
1: okay. Cool, man. Uh, well, welcome back. Um. My brother Oscar was just out here last week. Is he? Where's he living? He was in. He's in Portland. What? Yeah. He's I been there. No. He's what? been there for like, I want to say like 13 years probably.
0: Oh my gosh. I had no idea.
1: Yeah. We haven't seen him in eight years. He came back last week for like 10 days. Yeah, That's yeah. the
0: thing. I had no idea and I never ran into him, but I wasn't really out and about. And my friends were my friends. Like I didn't, it was weird after 13 years there to not, have that i wasn't very embedded in the community sounds like same as him just not i had my friends but they're mostly the same friends i started with there you know yeah of a couple but i didn't feel like i was leaving my hometown per se
1: yeah so so what brings you back to rhode island
0: um a bunch of stuff but it's funny enough that you asked me that what made me go in the first place it's kind of the inverse of that but it's it's another uh it's another sea change moment for me. And I have a feeling this is a pattern where I just every, I want to say decade or so, but I don't know if that's really true, but that was definitely true last time of where I just need to like upset my situation. Mm -hmm. And there's a window maybe, you know, there's a window. Like I was, was renovating my house for a year or two and then, and I had spent enough on it that it was almost not cost effective to live in it. (laughs) And so it just seemed like the right time and i got in a relationship out here that i wanted to come back and nurture and see about and um and i hadn't really i don't know just antsy to play music and um it i don't know it just kind of made sense as but and it was a little easier on me in that it wasn't providence or cranston either so it feels like i'm not exactly coming back to the same area because i have Mm -hmm. a lot more history in those areas um some of which is not You know, some of which is trauma and some of which is not. So it's, it's, it would have been, I would have been less likely to move back if it was Cranston or something. Mm, Right. I'm not really sure how long I'll be here, but this is feeling pretty good for now. So, okay, cool.
1: Yeah. Uh, Speaking of that, like uh, I was saying how I was listening to a lot of your music, Um, I bought your last record, um, Here You Go. Oh, yeah. Because when I was speaking with uh, Brendan, he was telling me about it because I think when I was speaking with him, you were just putting that out.
0: Oh yeah, it must have been. I think that's
1: right. Yeah. Great, great and, um, yeah, and he, so he kind of mentioned it as being like a really, uh, I don't know his, how he worded it, but he basically said it was a very, like, honest and, like, uh, yep. intimate. Yeah. Yeah, record. And it's a little, little gloomy. And I was just like, that's cool. It's right up my alley. I'll I'll take a listen.
2: <laughs> okay. Yeah.
1: Cool. Um. And I think that, I feel like that's kind of a lot of your work is, um, yeah, it seems part. a lot of very autobiographical. Mm-hmm. Is yeah that, that's true yeah
0: yeah super super journalistic okay. at least the last, the last ten years of it it's either like goofy, like I'm either really trying to make myself laugh or it's very journalistic or if I'm lucky, it's both. but I think you, a lot of it splits into those categories unless it's just completely fiction if it, you know' it's like mm-hmm. I did a couple concept records that are just fiction that have nothing to do with me but um, right. but I think you're right the, the majority of the records, at least the ones that people gravitate towards are those.
1: Oh, are okay.
0: Broad or biographical.
1: So how does that feel for you? I mean, like, is that, that does that freak you out to try to put something out like that's that that personal?
0: I think, I think it doesn't, it's weird. It's, it's not, I've never received, uh, i never received negative. I haven't had, I think what, what scares people from doing that, from putting out a super vulnerable or like naked, let's just call it like a naked, Hmm. lyrically naked kind of thing is that i think you're kind of fundamentally afraid not not unlike in your interpersonal relationships you're fundamentally af- afraid that someone's going to look at your naked body and go you're gross and you know <laughs> like don't <laughs> like, i don't want to look at you and i think that um and i that just hasn't happened to me with music I, I those people probably exist and people probably have been pretty turned off by some of the stuff i've done but I don't talk to them like I, they haven't they haven't emailed me to tell me how much of a turn off my personal feelings are or whatever. so I think it's only been a rewarding experience. so I've been um, encouraged repeatedly to be more and more vulnerable. like if anything, it only and I think that's just true as people, especially as we're adults, and we don't have as much you know uh, we have a better control of our emotions or our, our you know our emotional intelligence is higher it's it's a little easier to be vulnerable and not be so afraid that someone's going to tell you you're gross because Mm -hmm. vulnerability is rewarded that's a shorter way to say what i'm saying is that in music especially at a time when maybe the majority of the artists aren't being very vulnerable it feels like especially maybe pop music like it's rewarded people the compliment is always i like that i feel like i know you or i like that i feel like you're being really honest about this or i like that you expose this you know uncomfortable part of yourself
1: or something. Right, and it's relatable to people. It's relatable. For the most part. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: You If you show people your nakedness, I- inevitably most of them...
1: Will show you their nakedness too. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah they totally <laughs> will. It's like, like, the number one thing that happens to me is I'm at shows and people will come up and tell me what's happened to them. You know, right. it'll, it'll be like, that song reminds me of my life because of this thing. And then they'll be very vulnerable about what happened to them or whatever. Um, right. Which is a very big compliment that that says to me okay i'm doing that right i should
1: keep doing it like that makes yeah sense. okay yeah. cool no that's great i mean i i agree with you i mean i i definitely like i said i'm a i'm a sap i'm a sucker for a sad song really yeah. and uh so i was thinking though because like you know i i don't really play music much anymore but i found that when i had when i try at home here and like pick up the guitar and just try to sing a song even if it's a cover mm-hmm. i can't fucking get through it because mm-hmm. i get so like sad really like, yeah it gets too too emotional that I can't even sing I just start to fucking cry so I'm like okay I just can't do this at all like how how does that how does conveying such a you know intimate song to you and a vulnerable song like how can you even do it oh i I'm kind of psyched if it pushes me to tears I just think that's
0: cathartic and if I um it might be self-indulgent too I don't know but like I if a song it's such a success if you could play something that gets you, like that's so awesome if you could play a cover and you got to the place in some ways, emotionally the same place that the writer might've got to, that it moved you to that extent is such a success, that's huge. Like, yeah. and, and if I could do like obviously on stage that would be a little embarrassing, right? But I suppose but, so. But, uh, but I think if you can tap into the moment, like if I'm performing a song that's sad, if I got to the point where i was crying I, it would be a huge success because i would have successfully put myself in the place of that song where which is what you should be doing if you're performing it if i could get to the place where the song I wrote 10 years ago still moves me in the performance that's a, a feat of performance that you may manage to make sure you went back to the place so you're performing it honestly like i would I would see that as a big success. I was like, it's a common mm. songwriters that you're playing when you do that, but also that you're being that open, that you can be moved that much. If you weren't like that just shows you that you're being open hearted while you play. That's really a good thing. I think oh. that's amazing. Okay. I think I, if, if I, if a song will make me cry, I'm so excited. If, if a movie can make me cry, I'm so excited. Like I just, uh, not because it, you know, it's not fun to be crying, but I just, feeling something that strongly is uh is rare enough in this world and then you know sitting with it and it's a huge success by the piece if a movie can move me if a commercial can move me that's like i'm amazed that someone could direct a a burger king commercial that could get me like to tears right
1: yeah well well, when you you become a parent it becomes pretty easy yeah
0: i think you're right i think you're right it's uh, anything I see with dads in it, it tears me up. So it's, I'm kind of an easy kill. If you tap on certain themes, I'm like, Oh gosh.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Now you didn't have any children, right?
0: No, but I, I helped raise a child for the last five years or so that pretty much feels like my child. And I love just like my child. And so I, I feel like a parent, but we're split up now. She's not technically my child anymore, but, um, but I got to experience parenthood and, um, and what it does to your heart and all these things. And so those themes all resonate very loudly with me anyway, you know? Hmm. Okay. But, um, but no, not, you have two kids, right?
1: I do. Yeah. That's amazing. How old are they? 13 and 11. Really? You got a 13? Yeah, Yeah, man. He's going through puberty. It's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) How's that for you? Is it weird? It's a little weird right now just cause like, you know, he's doing the things, he's like kind of, like he tried to shave the other day and he like nicked his his lip. And I was just like, cause he just, he just went for it. Like I had shaved and I left my razor out. And so he just went for it. He didn't ask you for no. or anything. No, I was just like, yeah, you don't do this. Don't, <laughs> don't go sideways down only or up. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so he's, he's like nicked himself twice now. And like, I don't know. It's crazy. And he's huge too. He's like, he's like my size practically.
0: Really? Yeah. That's yeah. He's amazing. a big guy. Yeah, do, and, uh, you are you afraid for him or excited for him? Would you say?
1: Oh, Your- I'm very afraid. I mean, he's on the spectrum, so oh. I'm very concerned because you know he's growing and he's so big and like he's like literally the biggest person in his class. I see. And um, and going through the change, you know, developing acne, stuff like that. You know, yeah. like that awkward phase. Um, I don't know what he's gonna do about like dating, like he kind of mentioned the other day like he liked a girl and i was just like uh-oh this could be traumatic," <laughs> you know yeah. um because i mean i know like when i was a kid and i liked girls and i couldn't get a date for the life of me i couldn't get one to look at me so i think about him and his like you know awkwardness and his inability to kind of communicate properly huh. you know and like so that's like a just a double whammy of just like you're 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 fucked you're gonna you're gonna do the wrong thing and they're gonna like they're going to like be brutal on you, you know? Cause, cause girl, little girls, I remember like they were brutal for me. Like I could not handle it. It But, uh, Hey, tell me, tell me about your life. Um, you know, I, I invited you here to talk about, you know, your, your musical background kind of stuff that, uh, stuff that you've done musically as well as, you know, how you kind of got started.
0: Okay. Um, yeah, I, and I think Brendan probably covered a bunch of it. His memory, by the way, as a, is way better than mine so i actually like him to tell any uh any of grubus malt's history he's so much better than me um in, at least in terms of hard facts for sure um but yeah. i would say let's see i been playing music for a long time i was classically trained as a kid and then jazz trained as a teenager when i was 15 or so um suzuki trained as a kid so much more ear training than uh, sight reading oh, sight okay. reading always lacked and then um, Grubus Malt was I think 12 years of of playing Grubus Malt in New England and then and doing a couple other things always on the side and stuff but I was doing that and I was sort of pseudo managing the band in some ways but uh, booking and um, I don't know I was doing a lot in that band that was a lot and yeah. then And then we were doing, I think, and then I, the same, about the same year we stopped, just about the same year we stopped, I started doing solo stuff. It was like technology caught up to the point where I could have some of it. And so I could finally record myself and do everything myself, sort of. Mm. So I put out two records in 2004. That was really just all those ideas that I'd kind of built up and just kind of gushing out of me because of access to Uh, computer like software that could help me manifest these ideas and Mm -hmm. and of course uh, frustrations from being in a band and frustrations from being a really stupid teenager and frustrations from whatever like my family and anyway I just kind of shot out these records these first two records and then I was really rapid fire for a couple years of putting out a lot of records in there in Rhode Island Lots of solo stuff. And then Ibu Gogo was a trio with half of the guys from Groovus. Brendan played drums on that. We put out two records and toured a bunch. And then when that ended, that's when I was doing my biggest, or my first like label record for solo stuff. been my last two. And I did that, and that's when I moved to Oregon. I did that. And then I was doing just a lot of solo records over the last decade. And then... I don't know if this is too glossed over, but, you know, just a lot lot of records and stuff and uh, lots of solo work, playing in other bands here and there. I would, like, be in a band for a tour, like, or play on people's records and make some friends. And I did some touring with friends that we would kind of combine our bands to be able to do both people's sets and stuff like that. So there's Mm -hmm. there's kind of a family of musicians that I carved a path with for a, a bunch of years. And then eventually somewhere in 2014 i joined the deer hunter as their keyboardist and that was for that yeah, for five years i did i was in that band as a keyboardist and doing solo stuff on the side of that and then i just left that band before i moved here the, uh maybe two months ago and now just solo stuff um and kind of random production stuff for other people like i'm mixing a friend's record or producing some tracks for this band or whatever um right little things here and there but okay. i'm at kind of a weird moment where i'm just like deciding
1: what i'm going to do next yeah so, you're in that transition period i mean you just moved back yeah. here i didn't even know yeah, I, this was happening with you
0: it's a weird time to catch me for real like it's just <laughs> um it, it's a beautiful time in a way because the road is wide open but i also I'm not, I don't have this clear roadmap of like, and this is what, you know, like I purposely worked this year to create a situation where I can buy myself a couple months of not, not having any obligations whatsoever. So that mm-hmm. I just am like playing with gear, tinkering with songs, tinkering with albums and trying to figure out how do I want to make my career for the next whatever years or, what kind of band do I want to be in? If I want to be in a band, do I want to be in a band? Like all those kind of things. Mm, yeah, you know, makes all that even weirder. So <laughs> it's oh, just okay. a strange time to be a musician at all. Um, and then you know, moving around and moving back to this area where I have a different set of musician friends creates different possibilities that I have to think about. So,
2: hmm.
0: so yeah, wow. that's that. My life in a in a little,
1: very little nutshell.
0: Very little nutshell. <laughs>
2: okay
1: well cool man um so uh tell me about the first instrument you learned to play I imagine was piano yes and so you said you started young you were classically trained
0: I think I was supposed to play violin but my fingers were too fat and we started me on that and I just had these little sausages that are now just bigger sausages and I couldn't like really and so we I was also on piano but I might have been a violinist had I had not had a hobbit's hands, <laughs> or whatever. and so I ended up. Um, so I ended up on piano. Yes, we were all trained yeah. from age to be. That was just a rule in our family. It was like you have to play piano.
1: Oh, that's not a bad rule. I mean, piano is a very really good instrument to learn.
0: It is. I'm lucky for that for sure. It's one of those classic things that your parents force you to do that you resent right up until you don't, and then you thank them like, okay, it was kind of cool that you forced me to do this thing, and I hated it. Mm-hmm. So I definitely have
1: that feeling yeah and so so what was music like in your house growing up
0: there was a it was a strangely extremely limited what outside music we had like i had access to like neil diamond's greatest hits the beach boy's greatest hits and disney and that was it Hmm. for for a block of years like we weren't a home that grew up with the beatles and the and the um or Led Zeppelin or even jazz or like, it just was a very, it's not because of the family. Didn't, and we had tons of classical music. I should say that, but, um, but I had a lot of catching up to do. As soon as I started making friends that were grown in a more normal pop culture kind of way that like um, like Brendan actually is the one who most, I think he's the one that kind of got me into eighties metal kind of stuff and then got me into probably Nirvana after that or whatever, you know, like heat and hip hop. And like, it was friends that had normal siblings and families, not that mine aren't normal, but that had, that were into pop culture, um, that educated me about that stuff. And as a result, I have a very strange spatter, like a, I have weird gaps and holes in my, awareness of music like i I don't have a lot of listening of the beatles necessarily or i don't have a lot of listening of bob dylan necessarily or like all these things that like should be influences and i should know mm-hmm. well i don't have the same because i had these 13 years or so of, of like really specific and limited music yeah
1: so wait is that when you met brendan when you were 13
0: i think so it was fifth grade okay it was fifth grade and it was the right age for like you to have to get cassette tapes or whatever. It was like, his parents bought him music, you know, and my Mm -hmm. parents. And so, um, and I kind of lived at his house after that. Like I ended up, his parents felt like my parents for a long time. And, um, and he was just raised in a much more MTV household where like, yeah. um, Yeah. Because of that, I, I got access to all that stuff that my family wasn't as like, um, loud about i don't know it was weird it's very yeah. weird right now i didn't know it at the time you just think like neil Diamond's greatest hits is all there is that's all you need right sure yeah. but it, t- it turns out there's he wrote all- some
1: great he wrote some great songs yeah i'm a believer all that that's
0: yeah stuff. yeah there's a lot of good songs on that record but it turns out and it wasn't unfortunately it wasn't pet sounds it was beach boy's greatest hits so it's like surfer girl and Little Deuce Coop and all these songs that actually aren't really to me at all close to their greatest songs. So I didn't grow up on their most creative, you know, I, it would have been nice if Pet Sounds was the one album we had or something. I might, I might've come out uh, much more advanced as a musician, yeah. but.
1: Yeah. Um, well, you know, I mean, either way, however it worked out, I mean, you're here now and it seems yeah. like it, it has worked. You yeah.
0: Know? It worked okay. I try to lean into those limits. Mm-hmm. It might be okay if you don't, like as a result, maybe I don't, steal the Beatles as much as some people or something like that's my excuse. It's like, well, it can't influence me as much if I didn't get to listen to them for most of my life. So.
1: Right. Well, so then, uh, you know, so you meet Brendan, he's kind of introducing you to music. Uh, what's the first record you end up buying for yourself?
0: The very first thing I ever got was a seven inch for a Fisher price thing. And it was, we built this city by starship, still a very important song to me. (sighs) that is still influenced me for sure. Um, embarrassingly so, but it's just such a shiny production and there's keyboards and synths and all this stuff. As a kid, that was just fascinating and interesting. And, and my first, cause my first real records though, that was just the single. And it was cause the neighbor's kid had it and he left it at my house or something, you know, it wasn't like, it was cause I chose that song. It's just like, okay, here's this weird starship Fisher yeah. record or whatever. I got a, I think in third grade, someone gave me Fresh Prince and uh, Def Leppard, but it wasn't Hysteria. It was um, Pyromania or something. And at the time, it was right when Pour Some Sugar on Me came out. And so I was like, oh, my gosh, thank you so much. This is awesome. And then I take it home and play. I'm like, where's Pour Some Sugar on Me? Like, what (laughs) what is this record? Like, I
1: was not happy. I did not listen to it. This this drummer's got two arms. So I, this doesn't yeah, work yeah. at all.
0: <laughs> <I know. laughs> totally, that's so funny. But that, but it was, it is interesting that my first two records were like kind of rock and rap because those end up forging this path. Though it's not like from then I bought more and more tapes. It's like I just had those tapes because someone gave them to me, and that's all I had for till I met Brendan two years later. Hmm. And okay. He's got Guns N' Roses and Metallica and Megadeth, and we're like starting to listen to all that stuff, you know, because he has the cassette. So we're just listening to that in his room all the time. And okay. Brennan's an audiophile, like he listens to everything. And his older sister got us into like the cure. And he introduced me to Faith No More. And then we find Mr. Bungle. And like all these things come through his gleaning all this. And his dad is like an avid listener of folk music and classical and all this stuff. So, um, so I kind of siphoned that off of that family, the Bell
1: family, yeah. in a way. That's, that's cool. Grateful. Hey, it's got to come from somewhere, you know. That's great. Yeah. Um, so you you have siblings. Yeah, I have a ton of siblings. I have a lot. How many? I
0: have three biological sisters, two step sisters, and two half brothers. So eight total of us. And wow. so The four of us were raised until we were thirteen. Until I was thirteen, maybe, and then my dad remarried, and we got this other set of kids eventually.
1: Mm-hmm two-step. And so your sisters didn't have any, I mean, the whole house, no, no one was into music. So therefore you didn't even have that influence from your, from your siblings.
0: Yeah. Well, I was second oldest and, and my sister, um, didn't really share her music with me and none of our, none of, I didn't really hang out with my sisters. I got, kept to myself and our house is super musical. It's just, we didn't actually have the, the album. So we, my mom had like Patty Larkin and Nancy Griffith and stuff like that. But as a kid, that's not appealing to me really. Hmm. Um, so it was like, there was always music on, but it might be like the Mary Poppins soundtrack or it might be, um, you know what I mean? It's like these old Disney movies or it's musicals, like tons of Les Miserables and tons of, um, uh,
1: Madame Butterfly or like, uh, Oh, so it's even like the old, the classic, yes, um, like the old classic stuff. It's not even like Godspell or Hair or something like
0: that. No, no, it wasn't <laughs> even Starlight Express, the ultimate, <laughs> ultimate roller skating Broadway. It was the earlier stuff, which is better musically, and I think has influenced me for sure. But it, but it's just odd now looking back. I'm like, why didn't we have more albums? We had like ten, but and those that the Neil Diamond and the Beach Boys were cassettes. Oh, we had the monkeys too. So it was like oh. the monkeys, but not the Beatles. And so I'm I'm being raised on three cassettes, basically. Wow. For a, a bunch of it.
1: Yeah. So All right. We, and so wait. So now you um we're going to skip forward ahead a little bit because um so the album you chose tonight was D'Angelo's Voodoo. Yes. So tell me about when you first came into D'Angelo. I don't know if you you listened to Brown Sugar first or if this was the first experience with it. I hadn't heard Brown Sugar and I I figured out,
0: I was thinking about this yesterday to prepare for this. I was like, how did I even hear it? What happened? And it's because I worked at a video store and they gave us promotional copies of the movie Belly. And on the movie Belly, the second or third track called Devil's Pie is on the score for Belly. And I think what happened was they gave us promotional VHS tapes and CDs of the score to the store. And I just took it. I was like, yeah, I'll have this. Cause like we could, we were allowed to just have the promotional stuff. The manager didn't like, or the owner didn't really care. So I took it home and I watched the movie, I think. And that song came out. I was like, what is this song? Like it really impressed me. And then I had the CD and I didn't listen. Like once I found that track, that's the only track I listened to over and over. I was like kind of obsessed with the devil's pie track. Hmm. And then the album came out, and I was like, oh, that's the guy that did the Devil's Pie song. So I got D'Angelo's, the Voodoo record. And I put it on, and I put it on again, and then it was like became, I just listened to it every night for like two years or something. Like I just zoned out on this record over and over and fell in love with it.
1: Hmm. So it was
0: by way of this random um, promotional copy of Belly and this one song on it that I must have ended up with the Voodoo album. Yeah. And uh, and actually, I have this funny, random, anecdotal story of on the Voodoo tour. I just remember this. On the Voodoo tour, my friend Tony from that band Rustic Overtones called me one time and he said, hey, dude, I have an extra ticket to see D'Angelo in Boston tonight. Do you want to come? We're going to go backstage. I think he said we're going backstage because they knew somebody. And I was like, we have practice tonight. I can't. And I didn't go because I was so rigid and so... Like obsessed with, I was like, I get mad when other people don't show up for practice. I can't do that to my band. That would be hypocritical. you know, like now looking back, I just can't even believe I, that was made sense to me. But I skipped to see him in the prime, like in this amazing moment of that tour promoting that record, because I thought that I should go to like a three-hour screaming match at practice or whatever. You know, it probably wasn't the best practice. So anyway. I always oh, think man. about how I missed this moment, this opportunity to see that tour, and I didn't. Wow, in a really dumb way, but
1: anyway. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, so you could have actually even met D'Angelo.
0: Maybe I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It was this famous show where he smashed the drum set um, at the end of the first set, oh. and Best Love got and got mad at him for doing it, and then he came out and set up the set himself. My friend Tony, who's a drummer, related this to me, and was like, "It was the coolest thing I ever saw." Questlove setting up his own drum set was so humble and cool that he did that instead of having a tech do it. Something about that really resonated. I remember him telling me, like he was telling me all about the show. I like, can't believe you missed this. This is the craziest show. All this stuff.
1: And I remember him telling me that story, which I thought was fascinating. Mm. Okay, so you weren't you weren't going to meet D'Angelo even if you went that night. <laughs> <laughs> probably. probably that no, was- it sounds like because from what I've been what I've learned about uh, D'Angelo and that tour and this record from doing the research was that there was a moment where he kind of just broke down on that yeah. tour. And And a lot of it it
0: might've been right after the Boston show, Okay, but there he's, he canceled several shows on, well, they were touring for eight months and he canceled a lot of shows on that tour um, for all kinds of reasons, but mainly dealing with his emotional stuff. And he had a bunch of fits on stage. I saw referenced in one article I read and, and that brought back that memory of like Tony telling me about the Boston show and how he, had had this total meltdown and i think mm. it was as women were screaming at him to take his clothes off like that Right.
1: So. you know I, when you put it out there like that it's really hard to, <laughs> oh. to 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 not expect that to happen yeah i mean he that i just watched that video i just watched the the video for um entitled yeah, yeah. oh my god it's hard I, to watch. as a man it's it was so hard. hard yeah i was watching it it was, it was already hard i was like he's a man what am i doing it's so
0: good <laughs> He's so hot. He's so hot. He yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: God, what a curse.
0: It is a curse. He's a very, I like that part of his story, his tortured soul vibe of it. Um, hmm. But yeah, that's the story of how I found the record anyway, from the Belly soundtrack. And I think I just went to Tom's tracks on Thayer Street and bought it when it came out. On CD. Yeah, on CD. And like poured <laughs> over the liner notes and everything, which were super like dense and like, Hard to read and all this stuff and it really had the voodoo effect on me it, it like you know that something about the way first track hits and
1: everything I, it like sucked me in yeah it totally changed me as an artist just just this one album of like... right so before we start playing the record um just because you said that so this record came out in 2002 uh january 25th i believe so considering you got it as, as soon as it came out you were already as as came out 2000 did I say 2002 yeah yeah 2000 I'm sorry 2000 okay January 25th 2000
0: yeah that sounds right okay
1: um so you were already in Groove with Smollett by that point oh yeah and and you guys were already kind of killing it at that point
0: well as killing it as you can
1: be in in I mean you were like four years into it by that point right
0: yeah that sounds right because we started well we started really doing anything in 96 ish yeah you're right four years in 2000 we were where our world was was we were doing, we were getting some attention from some industry folks. That's the year we recorded something for Sony as like a demo deal thing. It was starting to look like we might do something, you
1: know what I mean? Like yeah. things
0: are starting to work in our favor and we were starting to open for a lot of bands and stuff like that. That's about that time. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. So, so what is that, what does this music have? Like, how does, how does it affect what you did from that point forth? Mm.
0: Well, for what it's worth. I don't know how much the album infected Gruber's Malt. It infected me. I don't right. know that. I don't, I don't know how hard I tried to push it on anyone else in the band, but I don't remember anyone else in the band getting into it. Not even, not nearly to the level I did. And I just don't even remember. I don't even remember Brendan getting into it and he would normally be the guy that would listen to everything. So, but I know that it pushed me. I don't know. Well, the, you know, I think we lost some guys right around in 2002. I know that we started doing demos for a record, and there were things I did on there vocally that were heavily influenced by Voodoo, for sure. But hmm. I would think that, like, I think that the style of drumming was really probably, as was such a big piece of it, like what it shifted in me as a musician, one of, say, five or six major things it did, it changed the way I looked at it. Was of course rhythm and the way that he like, made, like instantiated this Jay Dilla swagger into soul music and made these weird drunk beats, you know, and and just that lazy timing of everything that broke all these rules to me as a classically trained artist and a mm. jazz, somewhat jazz trained artist of like things just not falling on the eighth notes anymore and they're not being eighth notes and and and. Pushing a pocket so far back that it's almost on the next beat, and things like that, and then pushing some things forward and being vocally that far behind the beat. Like, there's all these things about that that broke my mind open about rhythm. That just Mm -hmm. made the same way this whole generation right now is being broken open about rhythm for the same reason because they found Jay Dilla. It's like that that thing would have been what I would have tried to push on Grievous Malt. It's Like, let's just be lazier. Let's just be lazier. Like funkier, funkier, funkier. But, um, and so there might be songs where, but I would say vocally you probably don't hear much D'Angelo influence on the groove'
1: Malt stuff at all. Right. Right. But it definitely came afterwards and with your solo work.
0: Yeah. With my solo work, it's super heavy, but Brendan's doing most of the singing for groove Malt, So if he's not listening to that record, he's not trying to adopt that. And he has a unique style to his, he's much less like, me and that I would try to emulate something a lot harder than he would. He was mm. just naturally, you know, like, even if he's really into something, um, he doesn't wear it on his sleeve as much as I do. I think, I think I'm more egregious with my like theft and he's more kind of tasteful. And so, um, so we didn't hear a ship where suddenly Brendan's trying to sing D'Angelo style falsetto and all this mm-hmm. other But you know I mean, he still just sings like himself and, um, Me, all of a sudden, my solo work, I'm, like, trying to work in all these
1: influences
0: loudly. There's a lot of, like, Bjork and a lot of D'Angelo and a lot of whatever,
1: like, Hmm. so. Okay, cool. All right, well, so um, let's try to get into this record a little bit. Awesome. I think I queued up a little bit of uh, the first track, Playa Playa. Awesome. Awesome.
2: Try to come up, I'll raise you with my handle, and press you with my pride, play you like a pro and take on the show. Sneak you and defeat you. Pop you your pop you your
1: cloak. That is fucking crazy.
0: <laughs> it so is <laughs>
1: Oh, I, I never listened to this record until you suggested it for the show. I feel like you would love it. Did you like it? What did you think? I do like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. I mean it's it's not my favorite. Um it like, you know, it's not my style really. I mean okay. I, I, I dig funk music, I dig some stole stuff. Um so I like at first I was just like D'Angelo, uh oh, this is not gonna be great. <laughs> but uh, but this record, I mean like I, I even listened to Brown Sugar like once. Okay. And I was just like, Yeah, I this one's way better.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a whole different world.
1: Yeah, for there was sure. Like this demo as a kid or something,
0: and this is like them run amok in Electric Ladyland with these insane musicians.
1: That is you right. Know. He did yeah. all by himself and stuff. Right. Yeah. By himself too. Yeah, this was like a whole life-changing thing, even for him as an artist. Totally. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I think I think it's pretty crazy. I, I read about the weird time signatures and like how they're like I even saw an interview with with uh, Questlove as he kind of broke it down. He's just like, yeah, it's like, I'm I'm no theory guy. I don't know theory at all. Mm-hmm. But the, the way, the mathematical way that he explained it, and he's just like, yeah, imagine it's like, it's four beats, right? So then you got, you basically have like seven hits in those four beats. Yeah, yeah. And so they're all kind of like weird and like not lined up precisely. Yeah. And you can totally hear it in just that little bit that we heard. I was just like especially now like in headphones and it's like Jesus yeah. Christ that sounds fucking weird like
0: yeah it's very strange the first time I heard it was definitely strange and it take it took a while to get over myself and be like it's wrong though like I there's still people that call it sloppy instead of I consider it just hyper precise where it's like it's not just playing behind the beat doesn't mean it's sloppy it, it means exactly where you wanted it in the pocket and the crazier ability to pino paladino to play the bass over that in such a way that he just plays these amazing lines and they're so sparse and perfectly placed as hmm. uh, this guy who plays with the who and stuff it's just bizarre that he would have the ultimate soul feel um emulating like james jameson or whatever like it's um it was alien it was alien when it happened for sure and that's a big piece of its impact on me yeah. and three times time sensitive too like now that you have a decade or two of artists too, we have two decades at least of people influenced by this, taking it and normalizing it. It's as you probably read, cause I read a couple things about this record too, to catch up on it. Like it's easy for me to forget what it was in the moment it came out this is a great example of like even if it's a timeless record even if it still sounds good whatever but the context of it is also very critical to why this record is is a very important record in right. soul music because you have to know that tony 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 was the hottest thing or whatever around that time that like music was on a very soul music was on a very different path for them to do that kind of record track it the way they did and all this stuff is actually very bizarre at the right. time or very ballsy Baldy, you know? yeah,
1: yeah, and plus, they I mean, they really kind of changed like shifted the dynamic because there was the whole group of them, there was the whole Soul right? So, at the moment that they're recording this record, they're already like the other members of the Soul are also in that studio in other rooms working yeah. on their records, and so it's all very kind of uh incestuous, like, all of yeah. them are kind of like hopping. In and yeah, out of each other's rooms and kind of like you know feeling vibes if not you know influencing if not helping and there are other amazing records that are around the same vibe yeah. the, the whole neo because soul they thing
0: the movement that's it i never thought it until you just said it but i there's something that probably helped if you think about it releasing one very alien album into the ether is really a hard sell, and like oh, let's say like Radiohead's OK Computer, right? There's just this one record that they put out that like the world has to contend with and go like ah, this is weird, and then realize oh my gosh, this is actually a really amazing, important piece of work. All right. Um, But if you can release five records within the year that are all made by that same crew i never thought about that but strategically that's actually a great way to push a new thing through Hmm. if you were reintroducing really ska music in the 90s if you're one band trying to do it it's not quite a movement when there are 10 of you in the same town or whatever all doing it it's it's suddenly legitimized in a way that i never thought about but the fact that they squeezed I think seven or eight albums out of the soul aquarium moment and Electric 80 land over the course of two years. And, and it all had that flavor and not, not as necessarily as musical as D'Angelo's, but it all was progressive in these rhythmic ways and these other ways, hmm. it must've helped their momentum and it not be quite an uphill battle for voodoo to get over as much as it did. I yeah. wonder.
1: Yeah, I don't know cuz I'm not too familiar with any of those records. The the Roots, uh Things Fall Apart, uh, Erica Badu's uh Mama's Gun. Good. I don't know any of them. Yeah. You know, I'd never record, really yeah. listen to them. So I gotcha. can't really say, I can't That's speak to it. Now, like I was listening to
0: all those records. So it didn't seem it was felt yeah, it felt it felt a lot less weird if you had I was hearing Jay Dilla on all these different records. So you're hearing weird rhythm ideas. Hmm. And the Roots are doing their thing too. Um, at that time also yeah the, the incestuousness is a big piece of maybe helping someone like me not panic when i hear it and go ah this doesn't sound like what i'm used to This in 311 <laughs> or whatever <Yeah>. you know?
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right so let's get back to anyway. the song playa playa um so this song seems to be the best opening track because d'angelo is laying it out there telling listeners right off the bat exactly what his intention is to give his absolute best here and now, you know? Yeah. So so what do you think uh, has been your crowning achievement up to this moment?
0: My crowning achievement?
1: Yeah, like the best, your your best work. My
0: best work. Um, It's always going to just be my last record. So it would be, I guess you go like I, I might have favorite songs that aren't on that record or something i'm like that's a good piece of writing or that's a good piece of writing but hmm. um but it's so culminating to me that like everyone better for me at least be better than the last one i don't know if you ask a fan you'll get a very different answer right like they will hmm. tell you well it's this record because whatever but right for me it's all building steam i'm just always applying like every mix i do better be better than my last mix every production hopefully will incorporate everything I learned from the last one and then apply it. So I guess it's the last. But I don't also don't have a career where I can be like that record sold 10 million records. You know, like that was my, you know, my uh, David Foster moment or whatever. So I don't. uh, So it's easy for me. They're all obscure. So I can just, I can be. Yeah.
1: Well that, that kind of gives you the opportunity to be more more, uh, vulnerable, uh, vulnerable mm-hmm. about about your selection because you can be honest with yourself about you know think about all the records you've made all of the yeah. songs even just even piece by piece you know yeah over all the years that you've been doing it you know yeah um so that's kind of, you know, you'd be the best person to ask. Like, I wouldn't want to ask one of your fans because they like, what the fuck do they know? <laughs> I mean, they just, they're just fans. They, they just listen to your music and enjoy it. Like they'll
0: be whatever they listen to at this moment in their life when they needed to hear that, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's going to resonate the same way. If I heard this record, I heard this record voodoo when I needed to hear it for it to rewrite the way I look at melody and harmony and rhythm. I needed for someone to shake up that wiring. So I didn't, delve too deeply in one direction or mm. for, start thinking of new ideas with rhythm and not like it and so for me voodoo is the biggest deal right but for some people for younger people it's probably his new record maybe or, um, or whatever you know or it doesn't resonate at all with them but right. that's my mon- moment of like neuroplasticity is I'm whatever age I was in that moment that's when I needed to hear it hmm.
1: okay so let's uh, let's move on to the next song yes devil's pie
2: i <laughs>
0: nice yeah i think that must be the first d'angelo i ever heard with that track
1: right right yeah i can see how how like compelling it could be because it's just like it's such a weird for for hip-hop even at that time 1999 ish you know yeah like just weird that thing. weird that weird squeaking thing, that weird fucking squeaky wheel. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's just like that yeah, immediately it grabbed me, and I was just like, it's crazy. Yeah.
0: And there's this gospel element to it, this religious angle that's interesting.
1: Mm-hmm. And it
0: plays really well in the movie too. In Belly, it was like a it was a moment. It was a cool spot in the movie too. Hmm. That's a cool song.
1: Yeah, it's um from what I had read, it said something along the lines of like uh I think D'Angelo was quoted in our interview saying that, uh, it, it essentially was like supposed to be like a chain gang song. Ah. It was supposed to be very gospel, like, like very, very kind of straight blues. You know, if you was just like, if you imagine yourself like out in a fucking field, like, you know, picking cotton or whatever else they told you to pick, mm-hmm. this is what we would be singing. You Yeah. Know? Yeah. That makes a lot of sense.
0: I remember hearing it and also not making out 98% of the words. And I still can't like, I, and it didn't matter. Like I was still so impacted by it. Maybe that made it mysterious. I was like, what's he saying? But it, like, I got the devil's pie line. So it's like, kind of got, okay, this Is a religious angle, but I didn't. Well, I mean, that's this whole record to me. What's fascinating about this record is that I still couldn't really tell you most of the lyrics to it. Mm-hmm. I, hundreds of times, thousands of times, but I really don't, I know the phonetic sounds and I know the shapes of all the melodies, but I don't actually know a lot of the lyrics for it. I don't think yeah and it tells you that that's not actually as critical as i at that age i probably thought it was it was yeah. a, kind of a lyric snob and i don't think um but this this album gets a pass i was just like doesn't matter
1: yeah so i mean I'm, i've am i never been a lyric guy so it, it never really mattered to me i mean it's the same thing it's just it's another instrument you know it's just like if it, is it conveying like the right kind of melody and the right kind of like you know kind of right. uh uh, you know, harmony with the rest of the music. That's all that really matters. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And this is fucking a weird one too, because like he has so many vocal tracks that he layers Yeah, tons and it's just like, and with that weird timing, like the way that he kind of comes time. in off the beat, like yeah. either, either ahead or behind. And yeah. it's really strange.
0: Yeah, it is weird.
1: So rude. devil's pie. Um, I was revisiting my conversation with Brendan about G- groove is small mm-hmm. and, uh, so I I heard a lot of the stories about the band and kind of how, what had happened and stuff that had gone on with the band. Um, Do you feel that some of the decisions the band made were, were were made to avoid devil's pie?
0: (laughs) Um, Yeah, totally. I think that um, sometimes I could simplify our trajectory and, and think of it as like, And I think Brennan's joked about this with me the other day. Maybe he wasn't really joking or anything, but he was saying, so this is the effect of like, we had these opportunities right in front of us and we were so stupid that we were really resistant. We had it in our head. I think I now feel in my older age that I really misunderstood what integrity means. I had a very, um, naive and childish vision of what that word and what, that, what it means to have integrity. I thought integrity was about rigidity. And I think that's just uh, all kinds of wrong now. And I think that, um, but I think we, were, we had these opportunities from time to time of this guy from here really liked us or this guy wanted us to talk to his label. Like we had some labels that were interesting. We had some people that were well, well connected trying to help us. And I think we are just so worried. You, But I think also really critical to understand is at that age, this is kind of pre-internet for the most part. And at that age, you're really hearing these stories of, this is also the era of major labels just completely screwing artists left and right. So there's all these stories that are starting to come out, but you're not hearing them firsthand really either. But there are these stories of, yeah, these guys, um, they got their record shelved for like three years They can, and they're not allowed to do anything. And these guys, um, they thought they were going to have full creative control and then the producer did everything and then they he took all the points on the album and they don't get paid. And these guys, you know, you're hearing these stories from people you tour with and, and other artists and wherever you hear stories in that era. And so we were very, very cautious about um, the man or the music industry in general uh, corrupting and or taking us and like ruining what we were trying to do. And I think now in retrospect, I'm like, overly cautious and not really understanding that there's a, there's a nice middle path there where it's working with a producer doesn't mean you've sold out working with a producer might just be someone with way more experience than you that will help you make better decisions to realize your own vision. But at the time it might've felt more like they're trying to make us sound like this band and we don't want to sound, you know, like we were just too worried that we would get corrupted um, by an outside force. And so I think we really kept a lot of people at arms bay, uh, Arm, arms, arms does that would have, that would have actually probably helped us get somewhere if we had just understood that we weren't in danger of these things. We needed to worry about these things. Hmm. And, that, and that, and so the devil's pie would be the very vague fear of like major labels just all together. Like this is, this can only go bad for us. You know what I mean? Right. Okay. Uh, That was a good example of uh, we, with that label, me really particularly, but I was so, because I was the relations with the label for the most part, we were so cautious and stressed and and worried about them taking advantage of us that I think I also caused a lot of strain with the label that now I would be more politically savvy and be like, I don't need to pick. I, I got to pick your battles when you're dealing with people with money that are trying to fund you, but they want what they want out of it. Like, there's some things you shouldn't throw a fit about, and there's some things you should. And I don't know that I picked any battles. I was just like, anything that feels a little off to me, we're gonna have words about this. And as a result, you just create this really uh, terse relationship that's not gonna get you where you need to go. You know, mm. and that that happened with Lakeshore, no doubt. I mean, they also were a a toxic entity in some ways, but I also think we didn't know how to play ball at all. We just didn't. I definitely, like, I didn't, is more than anybody else. Was me just going, I don't know. I don't trust this guy. I don't trust this guy. (laughs) Like, just really, really overly cautious. And we should have been more realizing, like, there's not that much money in you guys anyway. Like, you're not the next. You know, like, it does. It's not the stakes aren't as high as you think they are when it's your music and you're like, you know, right. you're not going to be that big. so.
1: Right. Oh, okay. So uh, let's, uh, let's go on to the next song. Uh, cool. Left and Right featuring uh, Red Man and uh, Method Man. Yes.
0: The most misogynistic track. on the left.
1: <laughs> Okay. I'm glad that you said it. Yeah, I, I agree.
0: Well, it's weird because it's also really, it's really good and it's really like a pick me up on the album, but it's also these lyrics are a little cringy at times. Oh,
1: We'll, we'll listen to it and I'll 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 oh, yeah. share a little story with you about it so
2: M A S A P, a crack of chicken, chicken hunting at
1: K F C. In '83, I was that scrub
2: TLC, Talked about, now I rock
1: the house, them out, yeah, No okay. doubt, we got the biggest ass in the house. Yeah. Young miss, full of your fish, water yeah. trout. Pretty young thing, got a tongue ring and dirty mouth, and she whisperin' them sweet nothing. I hear it out. It out. Baby, you got me like Joni had Chachi until she got hot and went and fucked Popsie. Yeah. Lady Godiva, from day one a dick rider. Lie liar, liar, set your pussy on fire. You.
2: I, I see this right now. I don't need to tell you that you know. How, but baby, you do. Oh, I said you below. And if you dream to be free, I can take you there just follow me.
0: Yeah. Baby, all... Good. It's Good the stuff. the groove on the record for me. Like what the is actual it? music. It's the sexiest groove on the record for me. Like just the pocket of it and the way the music is Sands, even the vocals, I'm. It's just so sexy to me. It's weird, mm. toxic. Yeah,
1: I, mean, I think it's a. I would say that this is a fucking song.
0: Yeah, totally.
1: The whole album is paced for that. I think,
0: but oh yeah, you know, I, I think this is like peak or like you're hitting your stride <laughs> or something. And so it's not a coincidence. That's kind of what they're rapping about. But
1: this, is, this is the dirty song. Like, and, yeah. and not even you know talking yeah. about the lyrics. This, is, this is the yeah. dirty song. This is the song yeah. that you're, you're gonna get down to. Yeah, I think you know? you're right. There's plenty of other songs on this where it's more of the kind of love making, the kind of like slow romantic yes, vibe.
0: not that. This one's the, <laughs> hey, let's get
1: down to business. Let's.
0: <laughs> What's the story you were going to tell me?
1: Oh, it just because um, I, I agree. I've even seen it, you know, doing some of the reading about it that, uh, that you know, people consider this song very misogynistic. Like just, it's a really completely different vibe. You know, yeah. lyrically speaking, what Red Man and Method Man brought to this song kind of bring this weird kind of
0: yeah you know rough raunchy party
1: kind of thing yeah yeah like it's not it's it's sexy but it's not like romantic sexy like the way d'angelo is you know
0: classy sexy
1: yeah 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 it's kind of (laughs) kind of yeah yeah and so you know i was thinking like oh i i can relate you know like the band that i was in the superheroes when we were you know we were coming in coming up at around the same time uh, I can remember some of the lyrics, some of the fucking stupid raps that those guys did. And I was just like, this is fucking embarrassing. Like, I used to hate it. That's funny. I used to hate one of the singers that we had. And I was just like, I can't, like, some of the stuff that we would sing about, I was just like, oh, it's very, very cringeworthy. And to think that I was doing that at my stupid young age, I don't know, the, you know.
0: The Redman and Method Man are in their 30s when they did this or something. yeah, yeah. So I
1: guess I can't feel too bad, but I mean, they're, they're at least better about it. They, at least they rhyme really well, you know, so.
0: Yeah. Their, their flows is, are perfect for it. It's, it's only the lyrics that are a little cringy, but I, I, don't, I also don't know that it's inappropriate because I agree with you. I think it's dirty. Like, I think it's dirty sexy and they're yeah. dirty dudes and, and I kind of think it works. Did you read, by the way, the thing where I didn't know this until I read this just recently. Q-Tip had a verse on this and they canceled it.
1: Yep, I heard and about
0: that. Did you read that? I heard it on another piece. They said D'Angelo's manager was alleged to have said that he thought Tip's verse was whack. <laughs> he just yes. said it. He just thought it was whack. I thought it was really funny that they knew the exact guy who said that and that it wasn't just a general sentiment of the room, but that he was like, this manager is just flat out canceling him. But.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the the manager seemed to be the most... You know, vocal about that. At least, he, at least yeah. he's the one that's you know quoted as such. That's but uh, but I think everyone was kind of unhappy with it. I mean, like I think even Questlove yeah, said it.
0: Of that, yeah, he did. You're right. He 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 agreed. Like he just said, we weren't really feeling it. But right. If oh, yeah. if he said like throw down on this and do a sex rap, it would have been kind of weird because he also has almost like a child's voice in a weird way is this high voice yeah. yeah voices work really well for what they're saying they're gruff and mouthy and like kind of gross and whatever and his voice is like this high pitch i don't know it's like a, such a different vibe that
1: um, yeah i don't i don't think that it would work
0: it wasn't the right move but yeah but tip doesn't usually get removed from a track that's what's crazy to me that's like if we had john bonham on drums but you know we weren't really feeling it yeah
1: it's like he was kind of off that day i don't know it didn't (laughs) sound right
0: like normally you do whatever you could to have this person on your track you know you like it's fine whatever it's john bonham but to know that he got removed from the song is kind of a big deal Mm -hmm. to me yeah
1: so i didn't really have any questions about this song because i was just like literally the comment i wrote about this song was like eh (laughs) i just i just didn't feel it i wasn't i mean it's a good track like it's a good fucking track i just wasn't feeling it i was just like yeah i don't know it's it takes away from the whole vibe of the record i think
0: but i agree with you in that it's sort of an outlier it's kind of a weird vibe i think that like the tempo of these first songs the way it's sequenced for i think i i don't know if i employed this, but I think I charted all the tempos on this record because to me, the way it rises and comes down rises and rises, comes down was very sexual and very intentionally sequenced in this way. Hmm. This song to your point, like this song is like right before the crash in a way, I think what's the song after this. What's our next one? The line. Yeah. That's a slower jam. Yeah. It's like yeah. that. I saw it as this, like this charted album, of a night of passion where he's, he's like setting this thing up to have these multiple peaks throughout the like session or whatever, you know, culminating in the how does it feel track or whatever, and then cooling down after the end of that. Like, if you think about it as like a, uh, like a, uh, what's it called? The tantric, like sting lovemaking session, it's sequenced in a really like perfect way. Mm-hmm to me and and so i think of this song serving that role of that rhythm hitting, needing that tempo to hit and that grind and that groove so that you can then drop down into the line and like okay that was your first peak
1: but you're not having your orgasm yet just chill out for a minute it's like <laughs> yeah okay cool well, th- well then let, with that being said let's uh skip on to the line for a little bit
2: Out this Said I got to put it, on oh yeah. More, more I, I got to put it on. The <laughs> Listen to me. Say I got not <laughs> put it in the chamber, <laughs> and I'm not.
1: All vocals performed by D'Angelo. Yeah. That's nuts. It is nuts. That's really
0: something. You know, I was thinking how I, I don't... I think something weird about this record and him in general is that he's so sexy to me, so sensual the way he sings, that when he... Like on his new album, for instance, when he gets political... Or this song, which lyrically, you could take in a couple different ways. Like, it's not really clear to me what, how we're supposed to take what he's saying. Right. But for me, and that happens multiple times on this record, for me, it's all sexual. Like, I never, I always just think about, like, he's talking to a woman and he's referring, when he says bull in a chamber, he doesn't mean liber- literally or, um, you know, it's, it's almost like, uh, in a funny way, he's, his voice is so effective to me as a, as a sexual like messaging that he um, is typecast that I can't hear him as a political orator or as a, um, or talking about street life or talking about is like, I read, uh, when I was reading about this record, it was like, you know, I, and I'm sure you read this, that the, he was experiencing writer's block for several years. And then the birth of his son with Angie stone kind of catalyzed him into writing again. And that's, Mm -hmm what this record was for him is like he he attributes the getting back up and doing this record to his son and how it's kind of attributed him and Africa's a little bit about his son and stuff. Right. And I do not hear that anywhere on the record. Like there's no part about this album that says Parenthood to me except for pregnancy. I don't like I don't in a funny way, like I, I miss whatever a lot of what he is putting into the music, I think is right over my head because I just hear, an incredibly erotic vocal performance in a funny way that i can't and this is a good example i'm only saying this because i'm listening to the line i'm thinking these lyrics and i'm like yeah i'm just kind of forcing them into a sexual context when that might not be at all what he's trying to say but for me yeah
1: you can't escape it you know no i mean it's it's just the whole vibe of the record just oozes sex and therefore yeah i mean why would you look for anything more in it? You know, like you said earlier, and I know that this is uh, something that, you know, critics had also kind of mentioned uh, when the record came out, was that it's, it's barely audible. Like whatever he's singing is barely comprehensible. Yeah, you so, up. yeah. So you can't, you can't even really hear what he's really getting at, yeah. you know? And then like, like I've actually looked at the lyrics. I've actually like kind of sat with the music and, and read the lyrics along with his performance. Uh-huh. And even that, I'm just still like, I'm still in the, in the mood of the music to really kind of think about what he's trying to say.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Aside from like, let's get it on.
0: Yeah. The vibe is so heavy. It's so Mm. effective to me that um, it might override. I never thought of that as a negative thing, but as a lyricist, I could see that being frustrated and he's actually I mean, he's a good lyricist to me. I don't, I don't think he's very flawed as a lyricist. I think he does a good job, and he has certain phrases that, when I read them, I was like, "Oh wow, that's really smart. That's really interesting. But really well put." Hmm. And, um. But I didn't know that because I didn't couldn't make out what he was saying. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah it's, well, a, it's a weird thing.
1: But so you you kind of already uh, mentioned it about this song. Um, this is a soulful song lyrically dealing with some unnamed adversity but it's some something and so it's it's very open to interpretation you know you can kind of put it into whatever context you want um i kind of already asked you about the band and like you know your your label mishaps that had happened um because i was wondering like what like what was a moment that you ever had to like stick to your guns yeah
0: um yeah i think um I think it ha- so I can think of a couple like there's been times when I think one example might be after I did home in 2009 um, I did that with a label called 5-1 and it was this really a kind of a one-man operation of this very very honest fair and supportive and strategic guy um, and you see he's kind of like my one one partner in this project you know i didn't have a manager and i was and we were helping each other and just he was funding it and giving me feedback and all this stuff and so um and his opinion really mattered to me because he has worked with all these really important artists and i trust him and he's very very honest and he genuinely just wants you to make interesting music he does not care how marketable it is he'll Mm -hmm. it would be better for him but he he just comes from loving loving prog music and interesting music and he just um so you could trust him. He wasn't like, yeah, I don't hear a single. He's not just not anything like that. And after I did home, I in 2010 I did a record called One Over Frequency. And Home was this concept record about zombies and all this stuff. It tells this whole story. It's this whole thing. And there's orchestral arrangements and the instrumentation is kind of nuts. And you know, it's just this it was my biggest project by far, like way more work than anything I'd ever done. And we did really well with it. He worked really hard to help me, you know, spread the word on it. And I toured a lot and I made more, you know, um, progress that year career wise than I had in any, you know, any 10 years before that or whatever. And then, um, and then I finished this other record one over frequency, which had no concept. The whole idea was, I just want to write songs. I don't want a concept. I don't want to be known as the concept record guy. I just want to try and write some good songs and record them. And that's the concept is no concept. Let me do this record and just try to write good songs and simplify arrangements. I don't want strings on everything. I don't want to do all this stuff. Let me just do somewhat a little more stripped down arrangements. And, um, and I finished it. I was really happy with it. And I was like, this is good. These are good songs. I'm proud of this. They're all strong. I think it's a good record. And I sent it to him and he was like, it's not, that good and he was like it's not he was like it's not a good he's like it's a good album but it's not a good follow-up to home i was thinking you would do something crazier and like level up Hmm. and i was like that's not what i'm supposed to do right now that's not what this is this is this is a reaction to home it's not the next home um this is me going okay now i did that now i'm gonna do the opposite and this is me carving a path like a slalom skier more than a sprinter or something like i just i You know, I got to weave and make sure that I shake off any um, guardrails that fan bases or anybody else is going to put on me. And so, or myself, really creatively. Hmm. And so um, in that moment, I had to decide and just go, all right, I'm putting out myself. And it was scary because I had now experienced label help and I knew that we'd made a bunch of progress and I really trusted him and I liked him. And to hear someone I trust tell me it's not that good was like, Okay, hmm. but it is. I have to say it is because I know what I can do, and I know what this is, and I know it's good. I know it's it's. I know it's leveled up from the last record in these ways. So I'm doing it, and he was awesome about it. He was like, "That's cool. You can put this out on your own. You don't." Even though I was contractually obligated, I was supposed to do another record with him. He was like, "That's fine. I can pass on it, and you can do it, and you should put it out. That's fine. I just can't put this out." Was like, "No problem." Wow. And that's took standing. You know, like my fear. In that moment would be, oh, okay, uh, let me go make another home for you or something. You know, like, I don't want to lose your attention or your help or whatever. Or our momentum or all this other thing. Right. And I just had to go, no, this is what I'm supposed to do. So I did it. That would Mm -hmm. be one example, I would say, of sticking
1: my guns. Yeah, um, for sure. So whatever happened with that label? I mean, did did you actually give him another record?
0: No, I never gave him another one. He's always been the only on-time person with royalties. He's the most fair we're still in touch um occasionally he's um he's just awesome he's he at one point he was like you can just keep all the profits now from that album because you're still working it you're still selling it you're still touring and um i'm not really helping you at this time so even though technically you're supposed to give me a certain amount forever or whatever he's like you just keep it and like he's just been awesome um so it didn't soil the relationship i'm sure he doesn't think i made the right choice but he's very respectful and wasn't like you know um, he wasn't like, wow, you really screwed up, but he also kind of veered out of the business for a while. And so I don't really know, hmm. um, but yeah, he's a good dude. I, I would, I would do another record with him in a minute. Like if, if I had one that I thought he was excited about, I would totally send it to him and see, like, do you want to try and you know collaborate on this release? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, why not? I mean, he sounds like a good guy. I mean, there's, there's not enough of them in the business, right? Super rare,
0: super rare
1: dude. Like in the business. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Cool. Yeah, that's,
0: I can think of. Oh. Yeah, that's a
1: good story, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, let's move on to the next song, uh, Send It On.
0: Okay. Another slow jam.
1: Yeah. going to do that for a little while
0: <laughs> it's gonna be a while it is <laughs> all in response <laughs> yeah this is a
1: this is a long record and these are long songs
0: they are they're all six or seven minutes it's kind of nuts
1: they're they're all jams they're all just like long yeah. jams you know
0: yeah, totally um, so uh
1: yeah send it on i mean this is the song that started it all this is the one that started it all for this album
0: he did in uh charleston or something or
1: yeah yeah or, he uh where is he from or richmond
0: or- richmond
1: okay richmond virginia
0: this song and that was the first one he wrote
1: right yeah and this one was the one that was uh kind of inspired uh, by his son his son's birth gotcha. and it's the one that sparked the whole mood and style of the rest of the album
2: oh
1: right so um so with this song you know knowing that this song was kind of the the one that inspired it all for the rest of the album this was the first song that he wrote you know before the the rest of this record came to be um what do you look to for inspirations inspirations it's all trauma trauma <laughs> I mean, it's just drama, really
0: <laughs> i mean i think it depends on if i'm like i was saying before about doing um doing either super journalistic or comedic slash let's say fictional music like those worlds mm-hmm. like writing to amuse myself or writing because i need to say something or i need to get something out um that music, like those things, fiction and comedy are just inspired by whatever at the moment is funny or interesting to me. Um, like I know I did a record with my friend Cyrus called Graceland and I know for me musically I was inspired by a couple records that happened right then. There was uh, the Streets, The Grand Don't Come For Free was sort of a, um, a, a this amazing story or that influenced another record of mine but there were these like, those were these narrative records that I was really impressed with. I was like, oh, I want to try doing that. And so it was this direct, this artist did this. I think that's cool. I'm going to try that. Whereas if I have to write a song, it's because something happened or because I'm ruminating on something or because – or lately when there's not much happening and I'm not traumatized and I'm kind of enjoying life a lot more, it's like, okay, I I smell this problem with people, with us, and I want to articulate it. That's mm-hmm. the, So it's really – should be easy to do in a pandemic like anyone should be able to comment on uh, isolation and um you know social media overwhelmingness and um and you know lack of lack of progress in your life or, or you know or insecurities around your career and stuff like that like these are Q-Anon, all things you know Q-Anon, totally these are all themes that like everybody could relate to and could and could comment on so i'd be more likely to write about more general issues right now but that's because i've I've somewhat gotten through a lot of the humps and traumas of my 20s and 30s you know that like okay right i don't have as many of those things happening to me now
1: right i um i kind of wanted to start this whole thing off earlier um by asking you the simple question are you okay (laughs) okay (laughs) because uh you know after listening to your music and listening to like your last record and stuff i was just like are you all right man is everything okay
0: (laughs) well that that's a that's a funny i appreciate you actually that's very kind of you i um yes i am and i would say that the irony about releasing albums about trauma is that like if the album made it out then i'm probably through it like it's like the i i i would still be writing that record if i wasn't I would still be like, or I'd be on like, okay, this is going to be a double album. Like I'm still not okay. Like if you write for catharsis and therapy, then like, you know, that's just ironic to me because that has happened to me multiple times where people go, are you doing okay? And I'm like, oh, that song's like a year ago. Like, yeah, I'm fine. That was, I'm done. I did that. Like that was, that was that week or that was that year. And like, I I'm through it. So you're hearing me process the, the grief and then I'm done processing for the most part. Um, Mm. So here you go is, is that album is processing. That's all it is. It's just, you know, step by step as you're losing your family or breaking up or doing what you're doing with your relationships or your family. This is just the steps you go through and then, and how you try to turn each of them into something useful instead of just pain. And then you're done and you package it up and it's a record and you can, Apply those lessons, hopefully, and, and you try to give them to the people to uh, make what you did not just about loss and make it useful, hopefully. And right. So, I, I don't, it's funny because I'm not nearly in the place I was when I wrote those songs. Like, I'm doing great. <laughs> I'm totally fine. I just, um, but it, that's interesting. It kind of ties to what you were saying before about crying while you played that. I don't know if I went and played those songs right now, I will have to put myself back there. And so I would have to go back. I don't think I would want to do that right now. I think yeah, I'm not going to play those songs right now. Yes.
1: Yeah. You got to look at my catalog.
0: Yeah. And like, why ruin a good time if I'm doing good right now? Like, I don't you need know, to like, Hey, you know, it'd be fun. Like do a full two months of just revisiting your nightmares. They're like going back. and like trying to cry while you're on stage a little bit.
2: Yeah.
0: It's not, I don't know. It's a hard job to do, but I can't seem to write too many songs when I'm happy. That's when I go to comedy and fiction.
1: Mhm. huh. Like yeah, that a... oh, makes sense. I I hear you. Um, well let's uh, let's lighten the mood. Let's move on to to chicken grease.
0: Oh yeah. Oh, let me tell you about the. Let, me, let me about the chicken grease.
1: Uh, uh Stuff and things to make the people get out the seat. There it is in the background. Yeah. um um the <laughs> left the right <laughs> the back to the middle the ba Yeah man. Chicken grease, you know what it is?
0: Yeah, it's the Prince the Ninth, or is it eleventh?
1: Ninth yeah. minor
0: ninth minor that high and played as 16 notes he said right i yep. never knew that. i took it as a reference to voodoo i was mm-hmm. just like yeah this is part of the voodoo theme of things of just like he's talking about the ingredients that go into the ceremony or something And like, no it's not that it's just prince's you know code word for a certain kind of funk strumming
1: it's it's a little homage you know because a, a lot of this record is actually in homage because uh i think I think uh d'angelo and Questlove's primarily were basically like the, the the pilots of this record they were the ones that kind of like steered the whole ship from all the people that they were bringing in <clears throat> and they actually would go out and spend like thousands of dollars at record stores and just go buy records and bring it back to the studio and just have these sessions of just fucking digging and listening and just fucking just going nuts on on inspiration just feeding Feeding their their minds on this stuff, and as a matter of fact, uh, one of the things I thought was really funny was that uh, they referred to um, all of these major uh, landmark albums that they were influenced by as their Yodas.
0: Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, it's, he. I think he. No, I think he says Yoda are the names of the artists. He was like Marvin Gaye and Jimi Hendrix and these James Brown Yodas. Yeah, he. Just, I think he's referring to the actual people. Okay. Uh, not the artist, not the album exactly. But right, the, right. As Yoda's plural. Okay. I thought it was
1: really funny. Yeah, man.
0: I had never heard that until I just read this thing. But yeah. And they were watching VHS tapes too, I think, of live performances and like, getting stoked on those ideas.
1: Just, yeah, just so much just culture, just fucking, just feeding their brains on shit.
0: Well, obviously that helped the record. I don't understand how you have to do that in like a million dollar studio or whatever. It seemed crazy to me. Hmm. Um, but right. I, I don't, I've never had a budget like that where I could like hang out. It was just never a thing. Still like, couldn't you take, you know, $5,000 of year advance and buy super nice speakers and a nice, uh, great record player and just be like, all right, we're going to set up in D'Angelo's, you know, right. second bedroom and just listen to
1: albums. Yeah, but, then, but then I, you I, can't walk into the next room with all the gear and be like, okay guys, let's just, let's just work this out.
0: Yeah. They did say, and I liked it. And uh, the one I read it, they really would like listen and then immediately jump on instruments and start jamming. And that seemed really appealing to me. I was like, man, that would be really an awesome way to get inspired and fired up is like to go listen to this thing, right. As you're doing it, instead of have those experience and kind of bring them into the studio, but like literally in real time jumping from watching or listening right into creating is an interesting, hmm.
1: luxury, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, that's uh, that's definitely a, a crazy luxury that would be nice to, to have. <laughs> um, so now you know the story about the uh the chicken grease, the, the 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 name chicken grease where it comes from. It's the the ninth minor chord played in sixteenth notes. Um is there any technique or particular style you may have learned from someone that you picked up?
0: Oh, um yeah, I mean everything I must learn from other people. I think um I mean from this album I learned lazy vocals. I learned falsetto as a, as a, like a a viable option for a male vocalist. I just didn't really understand that for some reason. Hmm. And I learned, um, I learned the weird uh, drunken drumming approach to rhythm. And I learned um, a, a very strange approach to harmony. I learned that lyrics aren't important. So I actually took a lot from this exact record I don't know if that's an exact technique I learned most of my piano or more of the formative piano techniques came from one jazz pianist that I studied under for two years when I was 14 and 15 I think and that was just it was really formative jazz training of like understanding inversions understanding scales understanding comping like those things that still apply all the time for me So this Mm -hmm. one guy, David Azarian, that was a teacher at Berkeley, I think, and he also ended up teaching in Providence. Um, And I didn't take under him long enough, but um, it was just two years, I think. But those things, if we're talking about keyboards, I bet you I learned the most from that guy in
1: that amount of time. Um, Okay. Um. All right, we should move on. Well, we're going to get into uh, one more gin. One more gin. I I don't like. I, I don't like. I can't say these words. These names properly, because <laughs> it's supposed to be gin, as in like again.
0: Oh, it is one more time again. That's yeah. Only, it?
1: Yeah, it's so, one more time again. No, it's one more one more gin.
0: Oh yeah, you're, <laughs> right.
1: you're right. I thought it was gin. Of course, I and mean, that's I, the way it's spelled. But I'm really too hard about this. One more gin.
0: Yeah, I, I think you're right, and I bet it's an inside joke. <laughs>
1: God, I swear! I swear! During those first riffs, I swear, like you can hear him having sex with a woman in the background. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's so crazy. It's still
0: a piece too. Wow.
1: It could have stayed there too. Like it could have stayed on that one riff. The whole song could have been doing that, and I would have been totally happy with it. <clears throat>
0: yeah, that's a nice little pocket. Yeah. That one, you know, I realized in that song that he does. I realized two things that he does. D'Angelo has this actually amazing left hand, and you don't get to see it very often until you realize one that Pino's lines are mostly written by him already, and Pino interpreting them. And two, if you watch him get, if you get to watch him play solo on piano, he can do crazy bass stuff with his left hand that, as a keyboardist, is very impressive to me. He can, because of his upbringing, playing in his church from a young age, he can move around his left hand and play all kinds of bass lines, and he just got. Got it became very natural to him to supply bass along with right-hand stuff. And you hear him doing it in that song. He's playing with Pino. He's playing the Rhodes as a bass. And I forget that if I listen for it, a lot of times he's doubling the bass with a piano or a Rhodes or or an organ Um, in a way that's interesting that's a little strange because the bass is so thick already. Hmm. But I think he can't help it when he plays. I think that the way that he jams... He's just, it's so comfortable for him to do that. And he hears it and he just plays it. But in a modern production, you would probably not have the keyboardist do that so much.
1: You'd hmm. be like,
0: just let the bass handle
1: it, or we could double it on synth or something. So it's got a particular sound, though, to it.
0: Yeah. It you
1: really I mean, like that, that groove, like that, those first few measures, yeah. in the intro into this song. Yeah. Um, you know I, I actually have this keyboard that I, that I want you to play. I, fa- I found this Korg uh, CX3.
0: Oh my gosh, do you know that was my old keyboard?
1: Is really? No, oh. no, I didn't. I didn't know that.
0: Wait, is it the organ?
1: <clears throat> yeah, it's like an organ. It's like I got the draw bars. Yeah, I toured with that keyboard for a long time. Oh, really? And,
0: uh, yeah, I played that in Groove of Small. I had that keyboard and I had a Yamaha CSX 1, and I thought that was the keyboard you were talking about. Like, what are the chances that you're telling me about this one keyboard that this is this random keyboard from the 90s? But now I think about the uh, the one you are talking about is also a Hammond simulator that I used for right. many many years and beat yeah. up. Yeah. Oh, okay. You have one of those.
1: I found one, yeah, and um, well, I'm trying to sell it actually. But... <laughs> is
0: that what this is? Are you like? Actually? No, no,
1: no, no. I'm not trying to sell it to you. I'm not. <laughs> I I, I want to hear you play it because you're so great. Oh. And I, I just because like I was fiddling with it because I'm not a keys player at all. Like I can't I can't do it. I mean like I I fiddle but you know I'm not I'm not a player. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. I would like to see this keyboard sometime.
1: Sure, man. You're not too far now. I know. I
0: could take it out. <laughs> you know, some other thought I had while we were listening to that song was, and I think you'll totally agree with this, that um, the album demonstrates an, an an amazing amount of patience. That, like, as an example, we just listened to the intro of that song. You know, we did a whole minute, and it hadn't really begun yet. They were just setting it up, and all these songs are super long, and they, a lot of them don't have structures that are traditional and like and he and a lot of them have intros and a lot of them have false starts and i and things like that and i just thought another thing that makes this an iconic record that doesn't you don't you couldn't hear today or are way less likely to hear is his demanding of your time and his like um taking space for things to breathe and just hang out on these ideas and jam and like and and it made that okay to me, like because I listened to it at night going to bed, I wasn't like, I wasn't checking my watch. I was just vibing, like enjoying it. And it, it never occurred to me how long these songs are until now when I listened to. I'm like, wow, well, this actually really goes on for a while. But, but that didn't really. And it's like, what is the record like? An hour and twenty or something? It's kind of a yeah. long record by today's standards. Oh yeah, for sure.
1: It's and uh, in a definitely. weird
0: way, it has that to teach younger artists. I think is is patience and or. You know, I don't want to say long-windedness, but not being so obsessive about, you know, minimizing your um, footprint in the sonic space or something like it's ballsy, right. it's a ballsy move.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just, uh, again, it kind of uh, is in paying homage to to the the founders, to the the, aunt, yeah. the the founding fathers of of soul and funk music. You know, it's just like that shit. It did what it wanted to do. Like it just yeah. they took was- the vibe and they just went with it and this is what they came up with you know i mean it's uh pl- the runtime is 78 minutes and 54 seconds wow so yeah, yeah it's a it's a long record but just before we move on uh one more one more one more gin one more gin i don't know i don't want to say that fucking um all i gotta say about this song is that uh, this is some sexy shit about infidelity is it yeah is it about- yeah it's about it's about cheating uh so i'll right. leave it at that i'm not gonna ask
0: <laughs> oh, I see what you're saying. what's my history of infidelity
1: no no i'm not asking i don't want you i don't want you to go into it that's funny so uh yeah so let's move on to the root okay
2: from the to the fire, from the alpha creation to the end of time
1: craziness yeah i came into it
0: where there's all that reverse guitar stuff yeah that's That's
1: like the solo that's like the guitar solo and it's all reversed
0: yeah yeah do you know if that's him or raphael sadiq
1: uh bass and guitar by charlie hunter
0: oh that's charlie hunter yep i always only thought of him as on spanish joint and then i read that he was on three tracks and i was like oh i don't think i really realized that I thought yeah. that was, you know, playing bass, but it's
1: not. I, I couldn't tell. I really, I really can't tell when he comes in. Um, but so it's the root, uh, Spanish joint, and the medley. He's on that. Great Day in the Morning Booty. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, the the backwards guitar part, like that whole solo, that could be D'Angelo, because uh, he does all the other instruments. Because I'm assuming that charlie hunter couldn't do some backwards guitar shit while maintaining the bass and guitar i'm assuming i <laughs> yeah. don't know i mean he that's probably good. has like a fourth <laughs> arm or something
0: <laughs>
1: yeah um so let's see the root um i like this song but uh I, I don't get it it's kind of nondescript kind of like the line uh according to some of the reading i've done about this song um I've done this. This song is uh, about a vengeful woman's effect on the narrator.
0: Mm, okay.
1: So, uh, with with that being said about this uh, vengeful woman's effect on the narrator, uh, would you care to divulge the vengeful nature of your last album? Here you go.
0: <laughs> the vengeful nature. Am I the vengeful woman? Woman in this scenario. What I know. You...
1: I can't tell. I don't. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I think that there there seems definitely be a lot of. There, there's a lot going on there. There's a lot. Of, it seems like the the context in which you're singing some of those songs sounds like you might be singing from either person's perspective. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like you flip yeah. back and forth.
0: That's a good observation. That's very, very good observation. There There's, um. there's one, the first song is not from my perspective. It's from, sometimes, sometimes in a record like that, like there's two songs in particular, or three songs really, I think, where, I'm collecting um, multiple people and making a, you know, and addressing somebody. So I I might make a song like that song that's critical of myself. It's me being criticized by my partner or my ex or something, but it also might be uh, a collection of complaints by like multiple partners. It's not, it, it won't necessarily be just this one person that I just ended a relationship. It could be like, And sometimes that might be by verse. Sometimes it's just, well, here's a complaint that like six different girlfriends all say. So I'm just going to have this character is going to say this thing to you. Or that's, you know, so sometimes it's an amalgamation or sometimes somebody I'm talking to is is four different people, but that all have the same trait. And so I'm I'm addressing all of them in a way or. um, Okay. And so that song is the first song I should say is not from my perspective. It's critical of me, critical of other people like me. And it's sort of, it's sort of my interpretation of what my ex would want to say to me about right. what's hard, to, what's hard about me, what's hard to be with about me, what's toxic about me, or what's painful. And then, and and that's what I refer to sometimes like an empathy exercise of going, all right, let me try and write in the, in, in from the voice of somebody being critical of myself, and see if I can nail that. See if I can really do that. And then. In the next song, Let Me Flip. And there's certain lyrics in that song that are supposed to hint at that in case it's confusing and someone were to think that, uh, who am I talking to now? There's talking about um, hiding bottles and then there's, you you're doing this, I'm doing this. You know, there's kind of like this way that you shouldn't, if you pay really close attention to the lyrics, you would see that like the perspective on these incidents is changing. But so Mm -hmm. it, it will start with an empathy exercise and say, let me first like criticize myself as best I can from their perspective and see if I can. And also set the audience's expectation that like, this isn't just me, just ranting about my perspective on things. I do diligence and point out that like, this is all extremely biased. This is me. And, and let me do my best to try and give a voice to this person that doesn't get a voice because she doesn't put an album out, you know. And so the first song is kind of stabbing at myself and trying to teach myself something from her perspective. And then the perspective flips and uh, it's me going through all the stages of this separation and trying to express the pain in as loving a way as possible. But there's always bitterness under that and there's always frustrations and humiliations and all these you know really crappy Hmm. feelings but try to try to make them come out as love in some way
1: well yeah i think that that that's beautiful that you were able to capture you know and, and be humble enough to kind of allow for that other perspective to be brought into the story and to kind of like share each other's like kind of pains and and like you know downfalls yeah. Like, yeah. like neither neither person in the in the context of the story is completely justified. Right. It seems you know. It's yeah. just like they, you both yeah. have faults. You both have problems. Yeah. This is just not working out type thing, and it, it's a, a very equal balance. Yeah. Totally. So yeah. I mean, I think that's very beautiful. It's very very yeah. mature yeah, and on an album very well.
0: Without giving them fifty percent of the vocals, but like but it, it's an attempt at least. Um, I doubt that yeah. she would feel completely spoken for or understood or would you know what I mean? Like I can't do that with my record about my pain. Um, right. It's an exercise anyway to try to zoom out of a record that's extremely zoomed in, you know, this is like mm. very much about my feelings about things and my really subjective experience with our relationship. Right. So, um, yeah, but it's a hard record for sure. It, it was a super painful record um, for, for her to hear and painful, um, you know, especially if you can't just the public nature of a record itself is adds a layer of humiliation to trying to hear the love in it would be that much harder, you know?
1: Right, yeah. Um, yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, like, I'm not even going to ask you about it as far as like, you know, what their perspective is on it, but I can, I can imagine. I mean, I, I'm married and my wife doesn't even want me to talk, say her name on this show. Like she's, she like is the most like private person does not want to have any shit mentioned, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's a hard thing. And it was a hard uh, choice to make. Yeah. I I did send it to her before I released it and she did give me her blessing, but I don't think she really listened to it all that much. And then it helped promote it a little bit, but I think it caused her a lot of pain and it was really hard to hear. And, I don't think she's returned to it and really listened to it since.
1: Okay, cool. That's that's great. I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, pry too much. I understand it's a it's a difficult thing, you know. It is um, a hard record. We we got to move on because we're actually running yeah, out of time. It's
0: gonna take forever.
1: Well, it's a long album, you know. We
0: want to, too, we don't have to go track by track,
1: do we? Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna skip some anyway because like Spanish Joint is next, and yeah. I really don't have anything for it. The only yep. thing I I really had to say about this song was that it seems that it's very influenced by Stevie Wonder's Don't Worry About a Thing. Yeah, totally. There's like, speci- like I think it's the chorus specifically that is just like very... And the way
0: he sings it is very Stevie too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that song because of Charlie Hunter. I just, the the virtuosity of the playing and how rhythmically upbeat it is compared to all the other songs on the record. It's a, it's another weird tangent in the way that Left and Right is to me where I'm like, oh, it's like a Spanish song and it's fast. And it's, I mean, it's Latin and like, mm-hmm. you know, and the beat's not lazy. It's none of that. Aside from maybe the um, the horn work on it, it's it's mostly pretty like on top of the beat. To me.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty upbeat song for the most part. Yeah. Um. So the song after that is "Feel Like Making Love." So this is a cover of Roberta Flack. Yeah. Have you heard the original? One you remember? Cover. Do you remember yeah. that one? Yeah. Okay.
0: And um um, and it's it's always re- it's always mentioned as the one cover on the record i think when i first heard this album though back then i did not know that was a cover it it fits right in with everything else to me where i just don't and i didn't know roberta flack's work so i was just kind of like i just i didn't realize there was a cover until years and years later
1: yeah me i didn't realize it either listening to this record i mean uh i wasn't familiar i actually know that song because i listened to it today i was just like oh i do know this song but um but it, it sounds different you know it sounds like a very different song as a matter of fact when i was listening to it i thought that this was like a song inspired by Sly and the Family Stone. huh? Like it has a very, um, <clears throat>
0: you think Angela's version feels inspired by
1: it, or yes. Roberta. Fleck? Yeah. Because I didn't realize it was a, a cover. So I was just yeah. thinking this is one of his songs and I was yeah, just yeah. like, Oh, this is him pulling from Sly and the Family Stone.
0: See that neat song. Like, oh, that's Stevie. That's
1: Prince. Like he's kind of doing the greats in some ways. Right. Right. Wow. And Jimi wow. Hendrix too, obviously. Yeah. 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 Um, which is actually where the name of the record comes from. From
0: Voodoo is from that?
1: Yeah, it's in, it's mostly inspired by Jimi Hendrix, you know, like Voodoo Child, something like that. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I think he twisted it, he turned it, you know, with the context of the record, it kind of makes makes sense, yeah, yeah. you know, universally. But I think that Voodoo tip tip like really comes from Jimmy. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so as far as I uh, feel like making love, it, it's just a an old it's a it's a trope as old as time. Mm-hmm. But um, whoever says I feel like making love.
0: <laughs> yeah, him and uh, well, I guess Marvin Gaye said, "Let's get it on." So he didn't even. Yeah. He said it a little more crass. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, foreigner, foreigner did it. He like making love, but I mean, yeah, like, I don't know. it it's it seems it seems silly to me, like the idea of like a song that says like like I feel like making love. It's kind of like a jazz standard kind of lyric to me. Yeah. Hmm.
0: Like I wonder if it was a little shocking at the time. I don't know what time she released that song. What what oh. era?
1: I think that was like late seventies.
0: Uh, so it probably wasn't that crazy. I mean, I guess the sixties had already happened. Yeah. So when saying like I'm gonna have sexual intercourse isn't all that, like <laughs> panic yeah. for
1: American. It's not, it's not like today. He's to just singing about <laughs> whaps and shit. Yeah, totally. Gross. <laughs> <So> fucking gross. <laughs> all right. So after that comes medley, which I didn't even really want to get into that either. I mean, it's a nice, it's a good song. I like it. Um, I just don't have anything for it. I don't have any questions about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really kind of nondescript. Like there's no backstory. So with that being said, the next thing that we would move on to would be the untitled "How Does It that's Feel" that. song.
0: Can't not play
1: a piece of. Oh, we got yeah. We yeah. have to do this one.
0: There's no article about this record that doesn't go on and on about this video.
1: Right. You yeah. See? And the the video too. That's that's the thing everyone focuses on because I mean, how can you not? It's like yeah. You can't Shame. you can't advert your eyes yeah. <laughs> you can't you can't Close as you want,
2: (laughs) it's so good.
1: You just keep singing to me like that, and I'll get real close. (laughs) All right, Jesus Christ. Well, all right, so we've already talked about the video, (laughs) oozes sex. Um, By the way,
0: in keeping with our lyrical um, ambiguity, I once read and I couldn't find it again for this, but I once read that he claims that song or no, the video. Uh, maybe another video. The song is about his mother's cooking. Did you find anything like that? Because I couldn't find it again. But when somebody was like, "Come on, dude, we know what this is about," he's like, "It's not actually. It's about my mother's cooking." And I, I always took that because I'm so skeptical of that, as like, is this him messing with journalists and just trying to be ridiculous? Because, but yeah. apparently he, he was, they said he was being serious. But I'd never seen that again, so I don't know if there's any truth to it. I, and I, I would say if that was by the video, then you definitely made clear that that was not
1: about cooking. It's about cooking, no. all right? <laughs> oh, oh okay. Yeah. But his mother's <laughs> cooking. Uh... That's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I didn't, I didn't ever, I didn't come across anything like that. Um,
0: I read that, but I read it at some point.
1: It could be, I, I would probably say it's more of like throwing people off the, off the trail, off the scent, you know, like, just get just stop fucking talking about my dick. You yeah. Know, that yeah. type of thing. Just like
0: that's how I took it. It's like
1: Yeah. Nope, it's actually about cooking. Are you happy? You know, this is like snarky. Sure it is, yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: um that's like uh that's like talking to Pearl Jam about how they what were their name what their name means. Yes. They don't like they make up all kinds of stories,
0: right? I Isn't think it they his bots
1: like made
0: actual jam and her name is Pearl or something.
1: Right. Yeah. Isn't that like, a story, I think? That's one of the stories I heard, yeah. Yeah, uh, I don't know. It's one of those weird things.
0: Yeah, Yeah, they just keep changing.
1: (laughs) So I didn't realize that you were back in the state. Mm -hmm. Um, I was gonna ask you what it what's it what's it like to be uh, the Pacific Northwest's indie rock sex symbol.
0: Oh, thank you. I don't. I don't think (laughs) I'm that, but I, uh, but I like the Pacific Northwest. It's a beautiful place. It's such a beautiful place. It's such a different pace. Um, It's so much more homogenous uh, racially, like glaringly so. And it's, um, their life balance priorities are very different than everywhere else. This doesn't answer anything about me as a sex symbol in the Pacific Northwest. (laughs) But there just isn't any truth to that, so I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I w- I can't claim that. But um, but I love that area of the country, and I'm not quite done with it or anything. I have a house there, and I um have tons of family there, and I like it there. So
1: yeah, you think um, you might go back at some point?
0: I don't know, but I think that I don't want to stay in Rhode Island for a particularly long period of time either. That I just think. I, I, I just don't know. I think I think these kind of choices, I, I decided in my life not to make a plan because I'm just like, I think it'll be clear what I'm supposed to do. Like, mm-hmm. I think if I figure out what, what I want to do career-wise or family-wise, then I think those questions will get answered for me instead of being, I'm just not the type of person that's like, in three years, I'm going to move and do this. In two years, even with our music career, I was always very resistant to planning and to like, because it always felt futile. I always just felt like, Okay, you say in three years, we're going to play the Arsenio Hall show, but then he's off the air. Like, I don't know what, <laughs> I don't know. That was never an actual goal, but like, I don't, <laughs> but I don't know what the point of that exercise is for me. I don't, I'm just not as much of a manifesting the universe mm. thing. So, right. so I don't know if I'd go back, I will go back there, but I do know that I have ties there that, and friends there that I care about and um, family there that I care about and so, I can. I could always go back, you know. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. This just feels like the right place to be right now. So.
1: Okay. That's fair. Fair enough. Yeah. Um all right. Well, in closing, let's uh, let's wrap it up and play the last track, uh, Africa. Yeah. And here I'm far from home I dwell within the land of smith make for many minutes at all. Such a pretty song. Yeah. So isn't that this so melodic and just kinda of like yeah it's a lullaby.
0: There's um, hmm. there's a piano-only version that he did, a demo or something that you can find online. That's really good, and it makes oh. you realize how I remember being shocked. I'm like, wait, those chords are in there? Those chords are in there. Like to me, that sounds just kind of like one sort of sparkly jam chord or something. And I'm not, I wasn't really paying attention. And then I saw how he plays it with just piano. It was a much more complex harmonic structure, if hmm. I remember. I haven't heard it for years, but. Oh. Listeners should check it out because I remember liking it even more than that version. I was just like, "Oh wow, this song is really pretty and like really interesting." And um, and I think, did you read it all that that song segues into "Things Fall Apart"? Is that what it is? Do you know what I'm I, talking
1: about? No, I did not read that.
0: There's something about the Soulquarians when they were tracking all this stuff, right? Like you were talking about, right the end of one of these albums i thought it was voodoo but it goes into the beginning of things fall apart the roots album from the same era oh okay or there's something or the end of that album goes into another album or something but there was some way i thought they tied these two records together in this really subtle way that's really cool Uh, yeah but I can't remember. And I didn't see that when I was reading more recently. So it might've been the roots in a different album from that time, but I, I kind of thought it was Africa into something else.
1: Yeah. I don't remember coming across anything about that specifically. Um, It's very possible. Um, I'm just, I just didn't, didn't find it. Uh, Yeah. yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised in the least if that was the, that was the case or even if it's maybe a different album because yeah. they're just so intertwined at that point. It just yeah. makes sense.
0: I love the idea. I thought it'd be cool if all those records are like kind of weaving in and out of each other in these ways. If they actually added beginnings and ends to help them link would have been really an interesting... Hmm. When have you seen that in music across multiple artists if their albums? I don't think that's ever been done. That's a really interesting idea.
1: Well, e- even more reason to look into it and see if they did it, because I, I, I don't know. That'd be yeah. pretty amazing.
0: I, I only heard of one link. But there were like seven albums in two years from that same all those sessions, I think, somewhere between six and seven albums, I think. Yeah. So there's a lot of opportunity to do that kind of thing. But
1: yeah, yeah, I think so. So, uh, so Africa, the uh, philosophical album closer, uh, celebrates D'Angelo's heritage while reaffirming his contemporary mission in life. Yeah. Um, with that being said, I think that that kind of means uh, he kind of really had a had a a stake in trying to revolutionize hip hop and r&b I'm, I'm sorry r&b specifically yeah. cuz uh i think he and questlove were very um kind of down, downtrodden about where r&b was going
0: yeah they're very critical in like
1: yeah i mean cuz it just and, and i agree with them i mean th- there's there was nothing interesting about mainstream you know top r&b hits yeah. you know so uh i think that this was a very big drastic change and uh just you know push the needle in into what what is capable uh, like what 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 are you what you're capable of in with R&B and soul music yeah um so mentioning this is uh what what is your heritage and how how important do you hold on to it or do you hold it
0: um well i think ethnically my heritage is like nordic sort of swedish um European Anglo-European I think that um but I don't aside from my um all the privilege that it comes with I don't I don't actively incorporate it into things I do all that much um I don't I don't really do my genealogy so much some of my family members are pretty obsessed with it but I don't actually really engage
1: too much with that so as far as what you are doing, I mean, I can't even ask you what's next because I feel like you, you don't know what's next. <laughs> I'm
0: so sorry. I got nothing to promote.
1: I have no, like, no, it's fine. You have I, a whole, you know, merch page, uh, uh, full of stuff. You know, you have all the old records and the, I, I, records, yeah, like the I, whole back catalog.
0: Yeah. And I have buckets of projects. I'm in the middle of, it's just, um, I don't ever know the way I work too. I don't really know what I'm going to prioritize until it's like 70% done. So I have, I have folders and folders of like EPs and albums and I just kind of work on this for a minute, work on this. And I just kind of keep working, keep reordering them. And then when one gets to a point where it's 70% done, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to draw on that one and finish it. And none of them are at that point. They're all at 40% or something. So, um, hmm. so I do, it's not that I don't have a, a, a lot of music like in the the pipeline, it's more just that I haven't, gotten them over this there's a threshold of lyrics usually lyrics are the hold up that like okay now this is it's mostly figured out i just had to patch these holes produce it correctly get some musicians to play these parts and this should be good to go so i'm still kind of i don't have i don't have any i can't predict which one of these is going to go next because I, I haven't pushed them over that line yet and with this time if i have time and i don't have these responsibilities this is the moment i can try and crank through it so
1: yeah okay yeah. Well, um, so I'm looking at your merch store, and uh, it looks like you have two vinyl records out still currently. Uh, mm-hmm. A Bullet A Lever Key, which I actually purchased from you as well. That's a that's a great album.
0: Good. Thank you for that.
1: And uh, Travel Light. I listened to it. I haven't purchased that vinyl yet.
0: That's the children's album I did. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And my grandfather narrated the record, and my cousin played cello on it. It's a family thing. It's all cast. Oh, cool. Yeah, um, but it's kind of meant for children. It's kind of below by. It's like a little right like the little, kind of vibe and um yeah those are the only two vinyls i did i was did that for a tour with the deer hunter that i was opening the tour so their fans are really into vinyl and really supportive and so it made sense for me it's just hard to invest in as i know you know it's like very expensive yeah. to get vinyl so if you right. do it you gotta make sure you're gonna sell those copies <laughs> you're
1: gonna have a lot of boxes <laughs> yep <laughs> I know a thing or two about that. (laughs) Um, But you got all your other, you got everything else up there on the Bandcamp page. So I'll make sure to, to, you know, list that into the show description page. And so everyone can find that. You got so many albums. How many albums do you have in total right now?
0: I have a lot. I guess I have a lot. I think there's (laughs) a couple that aren't on there and I might just start removing them too. I'm liking the idea of just disappearing things. So, yeah. um, And I, I don't know if, if you're counting the other bands and stuff, but just solo stuff, I think I have eight records and maybe five EPs or something. It just depends yeah. to what you EP is. Is it seven songs? Is that an EP? If it's a half
1: hour? I don't really know. It doesn't. I don't know. Yeah, it's whatever you want it <laughs> to be. Yeah. You could put a 14 song EP and you know, whatever.
0: Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. I have a bunch, I guess. Yeah. I've been slowing down how many I release now. There's, yeah. They're far between. There was a while where I was doing a lot more, but now they're, yeah. they're harder to finish. So, Right. Yeah. Cool, man.
1: All right, man. Well, hey, it's been great. It's been great talking to you
0: yeah thank you for asking me to do this it's i'm really excited to dig into this record again and think about it more and read about it i learned so much more now than i ever knew about it which is cool right i like oh, so cool. reading up
1: I, on. It. I, I like to try to be the person to, to to give the the surprises but you you know you already read up on it you found, that's out, found them all it's it doesn't matter it doesn't matter as long as we're, we're as long as we're talking about it that's all that matters yeah it's awesome it's a good record yeah for sure um, Thank you very much It's a
0: kind of space When I pick my own paint Just five forks in the drawer Got the old plates out of storage And I laid these brand new floors Even though I can't
1: afford I can't pick
0: up and go Drive across the country Slowly keep saying how your friends are so supportive